One of the things this game does tremendously is it brings up the question of existentialism. What is the purpose? What is the meaning of life? Unfortunately, the answer is 42. So I hope you've enjoyed this rumination, and I'll see you guys next time. I'm always nervous when I do a rumination on a game like this because I look at a game like this and it's already been discussed by plenty of other people. It's already been dissected by plenty of other people. And I really don't feel like I have anything to add to the conversation. Now, this time around, I have kind of deliberately gone out of my way to avoid more in-depth analyses or discussion threads or whatever. I, I wanted to go into this one with as much of an information blackout as I could. So whatever you're about to hear is purely my own thoughts on the matter based on my own experiences going through the game. One of the things I like about the game is the multiple genre approach it takes. I do feel like that could have been gone in a different way, and but, but I'm one of those people who really likes it when a game tries to stretch with its own genres. Sometimes games do that basically just as a mini-game or as a joke or, you know... Uh, to emphasize a scene, uh, Saints Row 4, for example, did this kind of a thing. And it feels like, for the most part, this game kind of goes in the same direction. Lord knows it, it, it shares this exact same trait with Nier, the previous game. Um, but I do have to admit that it was nice, uh, I want to say pacing. The flow of gameplay, which is what I usually qualify that as, was nice as a kind of created dips and turns, even if you were completely ignoring this the gameplay or the story and skipping every cutscene, there's still a variance to playstyle that makes it so that I never really got bored going through the game, which is good. Um, the gameplay itself felt very platinum. <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. I do enjoy the platinum standard of combat. You know, I enjoyed Transformers, I enjoyed Bayonetta. You know, what do you want from me? Um... But I don't have much else to comment on that. I do want to discuss a couple of things that they did with the level design and the graphics. I felt like I was playing, in some ways, an Uncharted game as I was going through this. And I mean that as a positive, because a lot of the levels are ex aggressively linear, but designed in a way that it doesn't really appear linear. Only if you really go out of your way to start exploring do you start to notice just exactly how much you are on rails. Because the game kind of naturally guides you along a certain path, usually with relatively subtle things like camera angles, which is one of my favorite parts about it. Also, the very motion of how the camera follows you in certain periods was nice. It's like, oh, you should probably go this way. And occasionally the game will just kind of like, you know... Or there's some motion in a particular area, or there's some kind of lighting in a particular area that's designed to draw your, the player's, attention over that way. It's good stuff. I do like that. I also enjoy the visual aesthetic of a world that's been in ruins for, what is it, 10 millennia or something? Some ridiculous number like that? Or I guess 8 millennia? A really, really long time, but still doesn't look as ashen as that should, because that makes sense given what we learned throughout the course of the game. You know, the idea that uh, the whole war between the aliens and the humans, well, that basically never actually happened, and that, you know, the humans have... Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm sorry. <clears throat> For those of you who have never seen my ruminations before, I cannot ruminate or analyze a work without spoiling it. That's a duh. This rumination will contain spoilers. It has to. Otherwise, all I could say is, oh, that's a good game. And psh, click the off button. <sighs> 
I feel the need to press that inf uh, information out there because I know some people are still, you know, getting used to my stuff and don't know, you know, what rumination analysis means or whatever. So uh, that being out of the way. So, anyways, the humans have been dead since forever, since before the aliens even showed up. But the weird thing is, though, does the exp that kind of a twist is only a twist if you presume this game has nothing to do with near. And I know that sounds like a weird statement, so I'm going to try and quantify that a little bit. The humans have already basically been gone as of the end of Nier. The Shadow Lord's death kind of sealed the deal on that one, but the Gestalts and all that crap... Humanity's been dead for forever, thanks to Drakengard. And, um, <laughs> and the Watchers. Let's just say what it really is the blame here, the Watchers. Um, and as a consequence of this... The idea that humanity was dead all along was only a surprise to me because I was naturally presuming that Nier Automata had nothing to do with Nier. I should have known better since Nier itself was actually a direct sequel to Drakengard. Um, but at the same time... Can I share a thought here? Because this actually came up very recently with regards to another work I was looking at. I want you to imagine that you're setting the story, three stories as part of a trilogy in real-life Earth. One of them is set in 2400 BC, one of them is set in 6080, and one of them is set now. What's the connection point between these stories? <laughs> I mean, you can easily say all three stories exist in the same setting, because they do. There might even be some thematic connections between them. I mean, lo Lord knows that uh, Yoko Taro, I think is how you're supposed to say that? Forgive me if I'm screwing that up. Uh, Lord knows I'm not good about pronunciations. Oh yeah, by the way, speaking of which, I looked up automata. <laughs> I just want to state that. Uh, I know some people say automata, but no, I, I looked this one up. It's supposed to be automata. I'm, I'm even going to try to say Uroboros better correct, later. But anyways, what's the connecting point between those three stories? And the, the relative answer is there basically is none. And that's what we've got here. Drakengard, Nier, and Nier Automata are so unconnected as to effectively be completely disconnected. If anything, I find myself questioning why these are even set in the same setting. But it is worth noting that Drakengard's final end does deliberately and directly set up the entire affair of Nier, and Nier's finale basically wipes the board clean, paving the way for Nier Automata, but there's not quite as strong of a connection there. But I digress. The point being that with the aliens being killed very early on in the war and the humans be having been gone since forever, uh, the idea that all of these cities are so pristine, getting back to my visual storytelling point, actually makes a weird degree of sense given how much we know that both sides of the conflict, or rather more like all five sides of the conflict, are all interested in... Let's use the word revering humanity as if they were gods. And the idea that you know, we need to keep this place clean or sanctified or relatively upkept. Now, I know what you're going to say. Well, if they're keeping it upkept, then why aren't they, like, making it actually nice? It still looks kind of ruined. To which I say, now this is just my opinion on the matter, but I look at that and I think, well, this is how it was when they found it. Or, more accurately, when they started to think in this direction. One of the things that's very clear in Nier Automata is that while your base programming always forms the base by which everything else you are is you eventually develop past that. There's a lot of droid effect in this game. It's all over the place. So by the time they either get, became aware of the situation or became conscious, conscious of the situation, they, the ruins were already there, so they maintained the ruins, right? Anyways, I'm getting off topic. Good visual storytelling is what I'm trying to say. Um, I suppose I've already kind of drifted into the story side of things. I just, I just don't have that much to say about the gameplay, other than the fact that... Uh, 
probably the one thing that I love most from a gameplay perspective is the fact that 9S fights telekinetically rather than physically for the most part. Now, I know that sounds like a really weird thing to comment on, but given things that are hinted at throughout the game uh, and the fact that he's a freaking scout model, it seems clear that this new advanced model uh, literally reprogrammed himself in order to have these combat modules and thus was not built to be a combat model and thus is not physically built to be a combat model, if you follow me. And thus it makes logical sense that he would have to do that because he literally can't shkunk the way that, for example, 2E can. Um, I want to talk about the Watchers again really quick here, because obviously the Watchers and the, the frickin' Plague of Doom set up near, but the way that some of the things work in this game, most notably the Tower, and pretty much everything with the Copied City and Adam, reminds me of the Watchers so much that I actually find myself wondering... Considering that we know the Watchers exist, that that supernatural exists in the setting, and that they have a literal fundamental effect on the world, would it not be logical to assume that the machines, who may or may not be immune to the more deleterious effects of the Watchers and their plague, might actually be able to harness a similar power in order to use it in a more minor fashion to affect the world around them? I mean, you could say that, for example, 9S has a, has a frickin' electromagnet in his hands, or you can say he is literally using magic. A very minor form of it, of course, but you get the idea. I don't know. It was just the first thing I thought of when I saw Adam building the city and making the white cubes and all that stuff. I don't know. I, I tend to look at something like that, and I can't just assume it's there for visual flair. It's the nature of my mind to look at that and try to divine its purpose. So I look at that, and it's like, well, why is that being presented that way? This is my thoughts on it. As ever, I anticipate having a very busy and very vitriolic comment section this week. So I am curious to see what you guys think about the whole White Watchers thing. Um, so another game I'm reminded of going through this is Final Fantasy X. I'm about to spoil Final Fantasy X in a major way. Uh, yet I have to in order to make this comparison. So please forgive me. Skip ahead like two minutes if you don't want FF10 to be spoiled, okay? Okay. The, the spiral of death in FF10 and the fact that it was designed to be an unwinnable scenario is kind of what I'm talking about. There was never any intent for this to be a winnable war. But the, the, the people have to be given hope. They have to be given something to fight for, some meaning behind their existence. Otherwise, there's, there's no purpose in it. They have, they, have, they have to be given this. And it's the same exact mentality that Unalesco was showcasing back in FF10. It's, I guess I'll just go ahead and start talking about Ouroboros here, because to me the idea is we have the two, the two factions, right? We've got the machines and we've got the androids. Um, I suppose it'd be more accurate to say we have the machines, we have the Yorha, but I'll get to that later. The machines don't actually want to win the war. They have other conflicting interests. Uh, some, some of them have the interest in design to wipe out whatever's left in the databanks on the moon. Some of them have the interest to continuously evolve and become better, you know, the better examples of humanity. It's interesting to me that both the androids and the, and the machines both venerate humans, one, one because they were programmed to and one because they grew to admire them. Something about that appeals to me because... It, 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 from a tragic perspective, because that is effectively a tragic circumstance, the idea of looking upon people like us 
I mean, come on, right? <laughs> and, and actually venerating us out of what is effectively ignorance. They repeatedly refer to humankind, both sides repeatedly refer to humankind as gods. You know, the ability to feel, the, the, Adam especially just goes way overboard with this. And it's especially egregious in Adam's case because Adam literally doesn't understand concepts such as metaphor or a figure of speech. Um, 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 this isn't doing anything. Um, um, you know, so I, I love that idea and that concept of the machines trying to be more human in perpetuating this war. And then, of course, the androids who we have to have some reason, some, uh, some meaning behind our existence. And therefore, we have to perpetuate this war. It's the only way. It's the whole purpose behind the Yorha unit, the whole Yorha uh, project. So both sides don't actually want to win, but both sides don't actually want to lose a, a more or less literal forever war. Now, of course, you know, by the ending of E, the war basically does end. The arc, I guess I should say the ending, uh, would that have been D? Or was that C? God, I'm actually losing track. But point being, you know, the arc trails off, the machines are like, peace, we out. And uh, the androids, what's left of them are left behind. Some of the machines are left behind as well. I chose to let Pascal live, by the way. Just wanted to share that really quick. Because Pascal's awesome, okay? I'm sorry, I really liked Pascal. He, he was a good character. She, it, I'm not sure what designation I should use here. Pascal was a good character. I think they, they, they call him he several times. That's why it's stuck in my head. But I, I liked him. He's probably the only individual character that really struck out at me as, an, as, as a character worthy of note. I mean, what can I say about 9S other than what I've already said? You know, very intelligent, very inquisitive, hacking, self-reprogramming. Um, actually, I do suppose I have one thing to say about 9S. But it's also something I have to say about virtually every character within the entirety of the game. Most of these characters tend to define their realities very rigidly. This is probably the biggest thing that distinguishes them from humanity. Humanity, by its very nature, is very fluid. Um, we are, or even gaseous, if you prefer a better analogy, we uh, are very dynamic and very adaptable. You know, some people say, oh my god, he's gone insane. But the problem is, uh, you know, when someone goes insane or loses their mind or what that's, what's actually usually happening there is the mind is adapting to circumstances that it can't otherwise process. You know, the ability to suddenly be in a much worse circumstance in your life and being able to cope with that, or things getting better and being having difficulty coping with that. You know, these are all uh, aspects of our fluid nature. By contrast, all the androids and machines in this game are very... And thus, 9S doesn't go insane. He literally stops working properly. The gears start getting jammed, to use a, another weird analogy, in his mental process because... He defines his reality super punk, just like all of them do. Now, I love the way that showcases in 9S's uh, character. Uh, one of the things he defined very clearly and very early on was that the machines are inferior. When he finds out that the Yorha units, such as himself, are actually basically like, like second-hand machines. I mean, I know that's a bit of a simplification, but basically that they were repurposed machines. That's a better way to put that. That just breaks one of the fundamental rules of his reality. Never mind the whole humanity thing when the, when the truth of that is revealed. So it makes sense to me that 9S would literally break down. I, as weird as this may sound, I think um, 9S did not actually have droid effect happening on him. I think he was... I'm trying to think how to phrase this. 
I don't see fiction doing this this often, and this is probably one of the one things uh, that I really did like about Nier Automata's story, because for the most part it was just kind of... Um, but I like the presentation of the fact that some of the most human-like characters are the ones that look the least human. Pascal? Pascal? Pasquale? I keep wanting to add a U in there for some reason, being a good example of that. And of course, uh, 042 and 135, or 153, excuse me. Um, are both examples of characters that are much more human in their personality, their perspective, and are very arguably sentient and sapient, but I would actually argue that 9S in particular, and probably 2E as well, weren't. That they were not at what I usually define as the level of true AI, um, which is basically total sentience and sapience. That they were developing in that direction, um, but for whatever reason, they never quite reached that. Maybe it's because of the nature of their base code, that's actually my personal theory. In other words, if I can rewind a little bit here, the whole point of droid effect is that a sufficiently advanced um, intellect is given enough experience and enough interactions with the world, with reality, and with other sentient sapient life forms to develop memories, personality concepts, and eventually become a fully-fledged sentient and sentient sapient AI, similar to how human beings actually fully become sentient sapient when we're babies, right? Forgive me for redefining this, but I don't know not, ever, not everyone looks at my Lorium's page, uh, so which you can find on my website, by the way. It's on the right hand, um, upper right hand. Now, that's important to me because I feel that 9S and 2E are both missing two critical components to actually be considered fully sentient and sapient. Um, they are missing the repeated experience thing, and they are missing the the, for lack of a better term, to put it, fluidity. Now, I've already described the fluidity, but the experience thing is important because 2E, they never mention anything specifically about 2E's memories being wiped. In fact, 2E obviously gets more and more jaded over time. You know, uh, the, the first time she kills 9S, it's just like, yeah, whatever. And then like the second and the 18th and the 37th time, it starts to really start to get to her. So it's obviously that her memory isn't being erased, but at the same time, her experience is immensely limited. Rather than having repeated, uh, let me put it. To, let me put this in a slightly different way. Let's go with the human analogy again, right? Imagine a baby who only ever really interacts with one other baby. I mean, yes, Tui does interact with Command and like a couple other people, but for the most part, all of her experiences are all with 9S, who is being constantly reset. You know, the, the whole reason Droid Effect is named is for Star Wars, and the in-universe way of combating Droid Effect is those memory wipes they do re frequently. And that is effectively what's happening to 9S every freaking time. Even when she doesn't kill him, his memories are being altered and adjusted. So I think that he is, his, his, as a cruel joke, basically, as, as a cruel twist of fate or irony or whatever you want to call it, is being restricted from developing into true sentience and sapience, and that's part of why he breaks because a truly sentient, sapient AI would be capable of being fluid enough to adapt. This is all my opinion, of course. <laughs> but that's my thoughts on the matter. And that's really all I have to say about 9S uh, and 2E. A2 is a little different. I think A2 did develop true sentience and sapience because she had neither restriction in place. She had many, many years of functioning. She was a prototype. You know, so she was more developed, kind of in the similar way that 9S would eventually be. And she was someone who basically cut off from the system. No memory alteration, no memory wiping or whatever, and frequent interaction with many, many different people. 
allowing her to have a much more traditional and classical example of droid effect going on. It, of course, then makes perfect sense to me that we end up playing as A2 for a decent chunk of the game afterwards because we, the player, are effectively moving forward in our development along with the characters that we're playing as. Um, uh, I mentioned visual storytelling. There's only one scene I really wanted to bring up with regards to that, and that's the white flag scene. Something about that scene was really powerful for me. I don't, I don't really know how to put it properly. The machines always act uh, very... Well, I shouldn't say always, mostly. Act very uh, uncanny valley. Clearly trying to emulate or mimic certain things that we, the viewers, will be able to recognize, but not really knowing how to do it properly. And, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the carnival scene in the amusement park, that's a pretty good example of that. Uh, the religious temple area, that's a good example of that. But my favorite is the white flag, where this thing comes over with a white flag, and it's like, come this way, please. And they're like, okay. And there's like, like just all of these machines out there waving the white flags. It's poignant for me because, A, it speaks to their desperation. You know, can you imagine for a moment an entire village of people all holding up white flags, like, just, please don't kill us, please don't kill us. The tension of that scene was surprisingly powerful, considering we were playing the ones who might kill them. Um, but also, again, helps to emphasize that not-quite-human aspect of the machine, uh, well, I'd say machine consciousness, but obviously that's not an accurate term in this case. And then we meet Pascal, he's awesome, he's a bro, um... Of course, it makes perfect sense that two of the more awesome characters would be the ones to be insights into one of the bigger themes of the game, uh, Pascal and Emil. Emil? Emil? God, I actually don't remember how they pronounce it. Um, the guy from Nier, who uh, makes several appearances here, was actually around for the alien invasion. Go figure. Grats for surviving the events of Nier and then seeing aliens invade. Which actually, before I go on, I want to talk about those aliens. Because I want to know what the heck is up with those aliens. I know it's not really the point of the game. There's a lot of setting questions that are basically left completely unanswered. Uh, the aliens are a good example of this. Was this an alien faction? Was this all of the aliens? Was this only a part of the aliens and they're all part of the same faction? You know, there's a lot of different permutations here. And if this was only part of the aliens, or if this is only one faction of aliens, where are the rest of them? Obviously, alien life is now proven to exist, so, huh, you know. Also, these aliens are apparently morons. <laughs> Defeat the enemy. Okay. <laughs> but that's part of the point, isn't it? There's a lot of, um, you know, classical uh, tragedy throughout the course of this game. It's probably one of the other things that appeals to me about it. The aliens are a more... Uh, typical, I suppose, example of that. They literally created the instruments of their own destruction. But it also, to me, it provides a weirdly large amount of characterization both for the machines and for the aliens because it means the aliens are immensely short-sighted in a way that mirrors their creations. The machines and Project Yorha both tend to be focused on the now rather than the then. You know, there's, there's no long-term game plan here. The only plan is to keep running on this treadmill, and that's the plan. Keep running on the treadmill. There's, there's nothing past this treadmill, right? Well, that's unintentionally, in a more uh, fluidic nature, what the aliens did. All right, we're going to make these, these robots, and they're going to go kill people for us, and then we'll win, and this will be our planet. And it's emphasized, uh, especially in... Well, this is tainted information because it comes from Adam and Eve, but... 
both Adam and Eve kind of give across the idea that the aliens were uh, evil, uh, stupid, and greedy, selfish, short-sighted, you know, pretty much not cool people. They were not cool. And uh, thus, <laughs> quite literally got themselves wiped out. Considering how long it took humanity to get wiped out and the fact that it took an external source for it, it does help to subtly elevate humans once again in the overall mythos, if you will, of the Nier series, or the Drakengard series, or whatever you want to call this. Uh, so, uh, looking at my notes here, I wanted to bring up the forest zone thing because I found a wonderful, uh, wonderfully appropriate bit of information there Um I feel like I missed some side quests or something there because it feels like there's pieces of that story that are literally missing. And again, I try, I you know, I, I do my research for these things, but a game like this size, I can only get so much stuff. But one of the things I was struck by, again, this is probably an inaccurate thing, or maybe it's just confirmed in the game, which is why I give the preface, is the idea that the forest zone and the king were another example of trying to find meaning, trying to emulate purpose by saying, yes, this, this will be the thing that allows us to continue forward. We will serve. That's what humans did, right? That's what we will serve and we will make this thing. Oh, well, okay, well, we need a new king. Um, uh, you. <laughs> it's this little baby. And obviously there's nothing they could really do with that child. That, 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 that child can't actually give them orders, so they all just kind of go about business as usual until they are, uh, I suppose the word I want to use here is freed from that obligation by A2. Um, I'm not sure if that's the best way to put it. I'm looking at my notes here. Wow. Um, okay. One of the other things that I noticed in this game is there's a lot of emulation of certainty. I know that sounds buzzwordy, but hear me out. The idea is that it is presumed by many different characters throughout the work that their predecessors, whether it's the aliens or the humans, had certainty. Certainty of life, certainty of existence, certainty of purpose, certainty of meaning. And that they should have that too. I mean, that kind of certainty would elevate them, would ascend them to such heights, right? And so we see lots of different people. It, it's another one of those little brushstrokes situations. Um, I, I, gosh, I, I'm struggling to come up with specific examples because it's just all over the place. A lot of the side quests, uh, especially the amnesia side quest, um, most of the interactions with Pascal, everything with Emil, you know, it all has to do with this idea of, well, they didn't question it, right? I mean, humans knew their place in the universe, so should we. Of course, that itself then once again ties into the overarching theme of tragic irony because humans don't know Jack. <laughs> Right? I'm, <laughs> we're not exactly certain of our purpose in the universe, are we? Right? I mean, maybe they were in, in this setting. I'm not 100% sure about that because unfortunately or not, thanks to the construction of the setting, we don't really know a whole lot about humanity. It, it is presumed it is based on our own real life because of the whole Tokyo thing, the end of Drakengard, and at the, in the, in the, pre, uh, the setup to near. But um, we don't actually know for certainty, but I'm just presuming that because obviously this game is being meant as a deliberate psychological experiment for human beings in real life who are then perceiving it. I mean, the number of references is all over the place. I'm not going to go over all of them. I thought about writing them down. 
search, searcher, God, I can never pronounce that wrong, is, is a good example of this. You know, so many of the bosses and characters who are literally named after or designed after existing philosophers in real life, you know, duh, right? I'm not really covering that because, again, I'm trying to add what I can to the conversation. I'm sure other people have covered that to death. What I want to talk about is ML, because ML is interesting to me in the sense that he is a nihilist who doesn't care, I think is the way I want to phrase that. An anti-nihilist, I suppose. Someone who acknowledges that life does not have meaning, but so what? <laughs> Which is kind of an interesting take on things, isn't it? It's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you, know, you zoom the camera out far enough. This is my own words, but this is paraphrasing his, his mentality. You zoom the camera out far enough, and nothing really matters at that point. All the details blur out, and you don't see anything. But okay, and... The idea there being, and this is probably my favorite perspective in the game, is that while the greater search of meaning might exist, that meaning cannot supersede existing. In other words, that while searching for meaning is certainly a valid pursuit, it should not consume oneself. And thus the real theme of the game, at least in my opinion, comes into focus. The idea that this search for meaning, this, this absolute mandate for meaning, has consumed all of these lives at whatever level they might exist of life or existing or survival to such an extent that it has fully defined them. That they no longer have the capacity for what might otherwise be considered a life because they must determine their meaning. The commander fl almost flat out says this to 9S in uh, Route B, I believe it was. You know, yeah, we have to have some kind of, of meaning. We have to have some kind of reason to keep going. <laughs> And you know the truth, but you, know, you can do whatever you want with it. Also interesting that the commander was not actually a Yorha, a android in the strictest sense of the word. Which brings me to my final thought here really quick. Um, thoughts, I guess I should say. Who started the Project Yorha? I actually did do research on this one point, because I felt it to be a critically important point to the overall plot. And I didn't find a definitive answer. In fact, it was so ill-definitive, and I noticed several uh, theory-crafting threads stating that it was probably unintentionally left unanswered for the sake of either DLC or some kind of, you know, a sequel, as a sequel hook. Who started this? Because Project Yorha and its continued war with the machines, who started Project Yorha? Who won, I mean, we know who on the machine side it was N2, was the one who, were the ones, however you want to define that, were the ones who really started their end of the cycle. Why did we get involved in this? Now, I do have a theory on that. <sighs> I think it was the pods. To me, there is something wonderfully, tragically ironic about the fact that some of the most inhuman robots uh, in the entire game and the oldest and the most basic you know they can't they don't have tears they don't feel pain they don't walk around gasping or talking and yet they're the ones who are basically behind everything for whatever purpose in in my mind i just picture a concept of the pods effectively starting this entire cycle for whatever reason you know effectively beginning project yorha uh, recruiting or building new androids for this purpose. We know that they can work with androids. They do that several times throughout the course of the game. And we know that they can be involved in their construction as well. They certainly know enough about rebuilding them, right? The idea that the pods have been literally the ones who got this cycle going 
And given certain offense, it seems likely that they were thus programmed to do so. Um, the idea that the, to use a Star Wars analogy, that the mouse droids are behind it all, right? That they were programmed to start this whole cycle and that they have been perpetuating it ever since. Because if you pay attention, and it's something that was in the back of my mind from very early on, the pods and the way they interact with whoever you're playing it at the time um, are not quite right. They're not overt. You know, most of the manipulation we see on behalf of the androids and the machines is very overt. Don't do this. Don't look in this direction. You know, God, how many times did Tui tell Nina, stop being so curious, stop showing emotion, God, right? No, no. The pods don't do that. The pods say things or present things in a way that directs them in a specific location, into a specific line of thinking. More subtle manipulation, if you will. Now, the final reason I like this idea is because at the final ending, right, the idea is that the pods have, after all they've been through, finally been the final, or indeed possibly the original, originators of the concept of droid effect here. That they have actually grown to the point where they have become sentient and sapient sufficiently to move beyond their base programming. Or to move past their base programming. The idea that I don't want to erase this data. It is important to me. It has value and therefore, I want to rebuild them without replacing their memories this time. Which is another horrible implication. How many times is this little cycle of war been going? Oh my god. <laughs> right? I mean, it's the year 11,000 or whatever, so it's probably been a few. I like... I like the concept that the pods in their own growth throughout the course of the game, have discovered that the meaning doesn't matter so long as they have purpose. That their purpose is what gives them, let's call it sufficient motivation to continue, regardless of the meaning of the end goals. It's a slight variant on the usual saying, it's not the destination, it's the journey, but it's a more nuanced statement, because the journey itself is... It could mean all sorts of things, but in this case, it is very specifically that we do have purpose. That there is a reason for existing now, regardless of whether or not there will be a reason for existing then. My take and my thoughts. I hope you've enjoyed. I've been twisting myself into knots over this rumination for weeks now, so I do hope you've enjoyed my final product, and I will be seeing you guys next time. For real this time. <laughs>